were not here last week, we started a series called Sneak Peek. Okay? Sneak Peek. And this series is all about pulling back the curtain and going behind the veil to actually see what is on the other side of death. Okay? Is there an afterlife? And if so, what does that afterlife entail? What does it hold? Well, before getting into what we believe about the afterlife, we told you last week why we believe what we believe. Okay? Remember, we said it's very important to start off with the why whether it's with your own self or personal conviction, the church that you go to, the atheist that you're talking on your job to, it doesn't matter. Always start off with the why. Why is that? Well, because anybody can have any belief about anything. So the question not is, do you believe or even what you believe? The question is, why do you believe it? What are you basing your belief on? Are you just believing it because it sounds good to you? Are you just believing it because that's what you're comfortable with? Are you believing it just because that's what was passed down to you from your family? Why do you believe what you believe? And so last week we spent the whole time, the entire time, we didn't get to the questions. We only talked about why we believe what we believe. Because you haven't been on the other side. I haven't been on the other side. So no one knows what's on the other side if you haven't been on the other side unless one who has been on the other side reveals it to you. And that's why we said we are going to turn to God himself to see what it is on the other side of the veil or the curtain concerning the afterlife. So last week we gave you the truth of creation and the truth of the Bible, so that you may believe what is revealed from the true God. Okay? We gave you all the practical evidence of the truth of creation and the truth of the Bible. And by putting those two truths together, we get the one true God that is revealed to us what is on the other side of the veil or the curtain. So real quickly, we still don't have time to get into our uh, questions today, but I'll go ahead and mention the question so you will know eventually what we're going to be tackling in this series. The four questions that were submitted were about the afterlife. Question number one was this. What happened to the Christians who died before the cross? And what is paradise and the third heaven? So we know after Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again, any believer in Christ, they go to heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But what happened to all the saints, all the people who believed in God and believed in his word before Jesus Christ came? That was question number one. And along with that, what is paradise and what is the third heaven? Question number two. Is the lion laying with the lamb biblical? And if so, where is it and what is its meaning? So this person says, I've seen all the statues, I've seen all the paintings, all the illustrations of the lion laying down with the lamb. I want to know, is this truly biblical? If so, where is it in the Bible and what is its meaning? And believe it or not, that also deals with the afterlife. Okay? It also deals with what's behind the veil or on the other side of the curtain. Question three, is purgatory real? Is purgatory real? And if so, what is it? Okay. So this person may have a background in Catholicism or has heard of the teaching of purgatory and they want to know, is this an, a real or actual place? And if so, what is it all about? And then question four was, uh, I simplified it, but it simply said this, if I deny Christ in order to save my life, Will I go to hell or would God understand? Somebody's holding a gun to your head and say, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? If you say yes, I'm going to kill you. If I deny Christ at that time, <laughs> will I go to hell or will God understand the situation? Those are all the last four questions that were submitted to us. 
And so I decided we were going to make or create a series based on these four questions concerning the afterlife. What is behind the veil or what is on the other side of the curtain? But before we get to these questions or get to answering these questions, I want to take a look at tonight the sneak peek that God has given us in his word. Now, there are many sneak peeks in the Bible okay, about the afterlife. Different sneak peeks that we'll probably uh, touch on briefly, but I want to go to one in particular today that God has given us as a sneak peek of what to expect when we leave this world, leave this earth, leave this life, and go into the next. There was a particular movie that came out uh, a few years back, and the premise of the movie was a particular person would get premonitions of death. Okay? They would get these premonitions or these visions of some tragedy happening before it happens, whether it's a plane going down or a runaway roller coaster or a tragic uh, car accident or, or whatever. They would get these premonitions or these visions, and then they would snap right back into reality. And they're like, wait a minute, something bad is about to happen here. And because of that, they would warn people and they would try and get away from what they had just seen. And they were trying to save not only their lives, but the lives of other people because of what they have seen. It was a premonition of the future. This movie, if you've seen it, of course, you know it's called Final Destination. Final Destination. And the one they had, I think, three or four of them, but the very first one that they had... This one particular student, a group of students are going on a trip. And this one particular student, he gets a premonition that this plane is going to blow up and fall out of the sky. And after he gets this vision, this premonition of the future, he begins to warn everybody. Say, look, we can't get on this plane. We can't get on this plane. It's going down. It's going to blow up. Something's going to happen. We can't get on the plane. And because of all of the ruckus that he created, he couldn't go on the trip. Other students can go on the trip as well, but some of the uh, students decided they're going to go ahead and go anyway. And right when they get on the plane, they begin to scan the plane, scan the seats. And they see over there to their right, there is a priest, a man of the cloth. Over here, they see uh, a, a man that is physically challenged. Over here, they see a, a mom uh, holding her brand new baby. And one of the, the characters, he turns to the group and says, hey, guys, relax. It would take a pretty messed up God to bring this plane down. So we are safe because of all the people that are on here. You got a clergyman that's here. You got one who's physically challenged, who's been suffering his whole life. You got a brand new mom and a brand new baby. It would take a pretty messed up God, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, <laughs> to bring this plane down. So guess what? We're safe. Relax. And what he was saying is a sentiment that is common in our day and age. And that is bad things only happen to bad people. We can relax. (laughs) We can rest assured that we're going to make our destination. Why? Because we got a bunch of good people on this plane. When we have a priest and we have a new mom and a brand new baby and a guy who's been suffering all of his life. And so nothing's going to happen to this plane. Why? Because Bad things only happen to bad people. So if there are a lot of rapists and uh, drug addicts and murderers and all kinds of criminals on this plane, then I would be worried. (laughs) Because then we would say, okay, it would be justified if this plane went down. But how can it be justified having a man of the cloth and a brand new baby on board? And so guys relax because bad things only happen to bad people. And they have taken that one step further in saying only bad people go to bad places. Just like in our day, just like in our judicial system, only criminals go to jail. (laughs) Only bad, only the worst criminals go to prison. And so in the same way, they have formulated in their mind that this must be what the afterlife is as well. That only bad things happen to bad people and only bad people go to bad places. But is that what the Bible says? Most people believe in an afterlife. 
You scan the room, you go out and take a survey. Most people you will find they do believe in some kind of afterlife. And they will tell you, yes, I believe in heaven. It's interesting that they would believe in heaven, but they do not believe in hell when the Bible teaches both. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. (laughs) But they will tell you, yes, I believe in an afterlife. Yes, I believe in a God. Yes, I believe in a heaven, but I do not believe in hell. Yet the same Bible (laughs) that preaches heaven also teaches on hell. And so what then is the concept here? What is the concept of heaven and hell? What is it? Who goes there? And are there any other options to the afterlife besides heaven or hell? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today in part two of our series, Sneak Peek. I'm entitling... Final destination, okay? Final destination. Let's first of all, if you are taking notes, go over all of the popular opinions or the popular beliefs or the popular options of the afterlife, okay? If you're taking notes, these are the six top beliefs about the afterlife. Number one is glorification, Glorification. Glorification, of course, would be heaven, a place where it is perfect, a place where we get perfect bodies. There is no crime. There is no danger. There is no injury. There is no dying. There is no crying there. It is glorification. This, of course, would be what many believe heaven to be. This is one of the most popular opinions or belief about the afterlife that what entails on the other side of the curtain is glorification. Another option that we have is damnation. Damnation. (laughs) Damnation, of course, would be hell. A place where people are going to suffer and going to be tormented and going to pay the price for all of their bad deeds and all the things that they did while they were living in this side of of death. This is damnation. So some believe in glorification. Some believe in damnation. Some believe in mediation. (laughs) Mediation. And this is going back to one of our questions that was asked to us about purgatory because that's what purgatory would be. Purgatory would be the mediation or the limbo or the go-between where you're really not in glorification, but you're not damnation either. You're kind of in between waiting for the final judgment. So some believe in glorification, some believe in damnation, some believe in mediation, some believe in annihilation. (laughs) annihilation is another popular belief where yes because they were bad and because they did bad things they may go to hell and they may suffer and they may be tormented but it won't be forever eventually that is going to be done away with and you're simply going to be annihilated or terminated you're simply going to end after you have suffered there are those who believe in annihilation And if they don't believe in glorification or damnation or mediation and annihilation, then they believe in cessation. Cessation, simply you cease from existing. There's nothing on the other side of death. When you take your last breath, that is it. You simply cease from existing. Cessation. So while those who believe in glorification and some believe in damnation and others believe in mediation and others believe in annihilation and some even believe in cessation, there are those who believe in the last one, and that is reincarnation. (laughs) Reincarnation. (laughs) And that is where you don't go to the other side. You are just recycled. (laughs) 
You're a Israelite. You come back to this side. You come back to this world. You come back to the earth. You may come as a bug. You may come as a plant. You may come as a, as a tree. You may come as a famous person, depending on how well you lived your life. <laughs> but you're coming back here. So there will be those who believe in, in reincarnation. So those are the top six views, the top six beliefs that people have concerning the afterlife. The main beliefs of one's final destination could be either glorification, damnation, mediation, annihilation, cessation, or reincarnation. And since everybody believes in at least one of those, everybody's a believer. <laughs> everybody is a believer because everybody believes in at least one of those things. Okay? So everybody is exercising faith because none of us have been to the other side. So for us to have any kind of belief in the other side, it would take faith to do that. Even if your belief is cessation, even if you are an atheist and you don't believe in a God, and you don't believe in a heaven or a hell, you're not worried about what happens after you die, that is still a belief. <laughs> it's still a belief. And you're still exercising faith to believe in. Why? Because you don't know. Because you've never been. <laughs> so everybody believes. Everybody is a believer because everybody believes in at least one of these things. The question, however, is which is right? Which of these final destinations is right? You know, way back when, and I think even now, the, the uh, thing that people looked for was sincerity, right? So, oh, as long as they're sincere, <laughs> doesn't matter what they believe, as long as they're sincere about it. <laughs> No matter what they believe, as long as they really believe it in their heart and they're sincere, that's all that matters. Well, you can be sincerely wrong. <laughs> when did being sincere come to be the measuring stick or the standard by which we will enter the, the afterlife we want? God is just sitting in heaven saying, well, at least you were sincere about that. <laughs> no, sincerity is not the standard. That God is going to use to judge who goes where in their final destination. You can be sincere in, in your belief all you want, but you can also be sincerely wrong and pay for that for all of eternity. So we're not just looking for who is sincere about their belief. We're not looking just to see who really believes it in their heart. No. God has given us a sneak peek into the afterlife. He's given us a peek to let us know what's behind the veil, what's on the other side of the curtain, so that we don't have to guess. So that we don't have to get it wrong. God has done that. And so looking at these six things, looking at this list of popular opinions or beliefs about the afterlife, which one is right? It could be one of the above. It could be some of the above. It could be none of the above. But it cannot be all the above. Okay? Let me repeat that. <laughs> Looking at the list of these six things, just like multiple choice on a test in school, it can be one of the above. It can be some of the above. It can be none of the above. Nothing that we've listed here. But it cannot be all the above. That is not an option. Why? Because if I believe in glorification and you believe in cessation, we both can't be right. <laughs> One of us got that wrong. Okay? We both can't be right if I believe in glorification and you believe in cessation. So with this list, all the above is not a choice. But all the above is what's being preached. In this day and age. But it doesn't matter what you believe. Just be sincere about it. 
No matter the church you go to, yeah, that's, it's just your truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. That works for you, this works for me. So let's just let bygones be bygones. I'll leave you alone about your belief. You leave me alone about my belief, and we'll be okay. As if all of them can be right. No. No. <laughs> they all cannot be right. Somebody is wrong. <laughs> because all the above is not possible. So, is it one of the above? Is it some of the above? Is it none of the above? And we know it's not all the above. Well, let's ask the one who's above. How about that? Okay, Let's ask the one who's above to see which one is right. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 19, okay? Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. Jesus is going to give a story, okay? He's going to give a story of two different men and their two different final destinations after death, okay? This is a story that Jesus is going to give of two different men and their two different final destinations after death or after they die. And let me just give you a quick disclaimer if you haven't heard this before, but some believe this story to be a parable. Okay? There are those in the world and even in church who will tell you Luke 16, 19 is not a story, it's not reality, it's not real. It is simply a parable that Jesus gave to his disciples. Okay? Now, I don't believe that. Okay, <laughs> I do not believe that this is simply a parable or an example. And the reason why I don't believe that is because in this story, names are given. Names are given. Lazarus is given. Abraham is given. You cannot point to one single solitary parable that we know is a parable and the name is given. Any parable that Jesus taught on, it was always there once was a man, there once was a farmer, there once was a woman, there once was a king, but never an actual person. In this story, he names folks. <laughs> In this story, he gives names which lets us know that this is not a parable. This is actual. Okay? And not only that, but even if it was a parable, and I don't believe it is, but even let's say that it was a parable. Remember what the purpose of parables is. The purpose of a parable is to expound on or explain a greater truth. God would get, give you a parable to give you a small portion of the reality. <laughs> he would give you a story, a parable, to give you a sample, to give you an example of a greater truth. So even if this is a parable, it doesn't diminish or take away from the truth of what Jesus is teaching. If anything, it makes it even greater. Why? Because if I shudder just by hearing this, if I shudder just by reading this, can you imagine living it? <laughs> because a parable simply speaks on or explains a greater truth. So either way, if you feel this is a parable, if you feel this is an actual story, it is still describing and defining the afterlife or what we can expect on the other side. Okay. So, in this particular passage of scripture, there are seven truths about the afterlife I want you to see. There are seven different truths about the afterlife that I want you to see and I want you to get from this particular story. Some of these seven truths are automatically going to answer some of those four questions that we had, but we'll still get to those questions later on. But I want you to look at seven truths that we're going to get from this story concerning the afterlife as God gives us a sneak peek on what's on the other side. Okay? Luke 16, starting in verse 19, says this, There was a certain rich man 
who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously or luxuriously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. There it is. <laughs> Jesus gives the name. There was a certain beggar? No, there's a certain beggar named Lazarus. Full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So you have two different men. And before you begin to read into this to see why they each went to each of their destinations, hold off on that. There's some more explanations that need to take place in order for us to know why they both ended up where they ended up. Okay, so hold off on that. We'll probably get to that next week. But this is just Jesus describing the life of this, these two men. One was very rich or wealthy. He dressed in royalty. He lived in luxury. Another one was very poor and had sores all over his body. And all he did was sit at that gate and beg, not for a handout, but even what this rich man didn't want. <laughs> what fell from his table, the scraps, the trash he threw away. That's all this uh, poor man Lazarus wanted, okay? But then the Bible says this in the next verse, so it was that the beggar died. Who is the beggar? Lazarus. The beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Speaks of no carrying away by angel, okay? He died and he was buried. And being in torments, plural, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw who? A man? No. Abraham. <laughs> he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. These two men, after they die, they go to two completely different final destinations. So the story here gives us a sneak peek on what's on the other side of death. Two different final destinations are given. One is Hades. The other is Abraham's bosom. Hades, Abraham's bosom. So what are these final destinations then? What are these places? Well, the word hell in our language is much like the word love in our language, meaning that we will use the same word to mean different things. For example, we may say, I love my wife. I love my wife. And turn around and then say, you know what? I love chocolate cake. <laughs> Or I love the Cowboys. Well, hopefully you feel more about your wife <laughs> than you do about chocolate cake and the Cowboys. <laughs> we will use the same word love for a number of things. In the original language, they don't do that. They have different words depending on what are they talking about or what they're trying to describe. So in the original language, they don't just use the word love. They use agape. Agape means unconditional love. They will use phileo. Phileo means brotherly love or friendship love, where we get our word, our city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. They will use eros, which is uh, the passion love, where we get our word erotic from. So depending on the situation, that's the type of love word they will use. They won't do what we do, just I love anything. I love chocolate cake. I love ice cream. I love my wife. I love God. Okay, well, how do you feel about each of those things? The original language, they will use particular words depending on the situation. Well, the same way with hell. The same way with hell. We, in our vernacular, in our um, language, we have one word for the afterlife to where, quote-unquote, bad people go, and we say hell. But that's not really what the original language does. Hell is, simply put, the grave or the abode of the dead. 
So when you're talking about hell, you're simply talking about the place where everybody who dies goes. They're no longer on earth. They're no longer in time. They're no longer here. They have gone to the grave. They have gone to hell. They have gone to the place or the abode of and for the dead. And there are other words that uh, are used to describe hell. In Greek, uh, Greek, it is called Hades. That's why in the story, it is saying the rich man went where? To Hades. Because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Greek, and so in the story, the rich man goes not necessarily to hell, he goes to Hades, which is the grave or the abode of the dead. So in Greek, it's called Hades. In Hebrew, it's called Sheol. S-H-E-O-L. Okay? But it means the same thing. It is the grave or the abode of the dead. Okay? But hell really isn't the final destination. Okay? Hades and Sheol that's really not the final destination. I know that's what we want to say, and that's what we've been using in our vernacular, but Hades and Shell, that's not the final destination. There is another word, there's one more word that the original language uh, uses to describe the final destination. It is not Hades, it's not Shell, it is Gehenna. Okay? Gehenna. What is Gehenna? Well, Gehenna is a valley in Jerusalem, and in this valley, they use it to burn things, okay? So I was just in Israel, went to Jerusalem, saw all of the mountains and, and all of the valleys, and they, the people lived on mountains. No one lives in the valleys there, and so they took this particular valley called Gehenna, and they used this valley to burn things. But not just junk, not just trash, they also used Gehenna to burn people. Whether it was people they were getting rid of, like a crematorium, or even human sacrifices, they would use the valley called Gehenna to burn. Okay? Well, Gehenna is the same word that is used in Scripture to describe the true final destination, okay? And it is found in the book of Revelation. So if you still have your Bibles open, go with me to the end of your book, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 13, it says this. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And watch this, death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. Okay? So this is the clue that hell or Hades or shell is not the final destination. Because here the Bible is saying death and hell or Hades gave up the dead who were in them. No, that was just the holding place. <laughs> that was just the abode of the dead. But now at the end, Hades is now going to empty out all of the dead who were in it, uh, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into Gehenna. Death and Hades was then cast into Gehenna, or the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into Gehenna, <laughs> the lake of fire. So it is actually Gehenna, not hell, that's the final destination. It is Gehenna, not hell, where people will spend eternity. But Gehenna is not open for business yet. <laughs> Gehenna, Gehenna is not open for business yet, okay? At least not for human beings, okay? The Bible does say that when uh, Jesus comes back uh, and set up his millennial kingdom, he's going to take the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet and throw them in Gehenna. 
So they would be the ones, the first ones to go into this place called Gehenna or the lake of fire. But then after the millennial reign of Christ and after the great white throne judgment, those who are not found in the Lamb's book of life are going to also be thrown into this final judgment or destination called Gehenna, the lake of fire. Okay. So where then do people go after death until then? If nobody is in Gehenna now, where are they? Okay. Well, Jesus gives us a sneak peek where they are. Either Hades or what is referred to as Abraham's bosom. So now let's go back to the story in Luke. And let's look at these quickly seven truths we want you to get from this sneak peek of the afterlife. Luke 16, verse 23, Luke 16, verse 23, it says this, And being in torments in Hades, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, please don't get me wrong. Just because this is not the lake of fire doesn't mean there's no torment going on here. There is torment going on here. But the very first truth I want you to get here is this. The abode of the dead is divided. Okay? The abode of the dead is divided. Even though they would say if you died, you went to Shell or you went to Hades because that's simply the abode of the dead. But the abode of the dead is divided. And whether you believe that it is one compartment that is divided or two different compartments that's divided, the point is it's divided. <laughs> You don't have one final destination. You have two final destinations. We see here the man, the rich man, lifts up his eyes in Hades in torment. And he sees Abraham and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom being comforted. Two different places. So it is divided. The place or the abode of the dead is divided. That is truth number one we can get from this story. There is a place for some. And then there is a place for others. And then that is it. Second truth I want you to get from this story. Everyone enters eternity with their own identity. Everyone enters eternity with their own identity. There's no puffs of smoke. There's no balls of fire or light. No. The rich man looked up and he saw Abraham. He saw Lazarus. John says, I saw every tribe, nation, and tongue. How did he see that if all we are are puffs of smoke? <laughs> if all we are are balls of light, how did John see every tribe, tongue, and nation in heaven? How did he see that? Because we're not just puffs of smoke and balls of light. Everybody enters into eternity with their own identity. Who you were here is who you will be there. <laughs> Everybody. The rich man saw Abraham. He saw Lazarus because they still had and possessed their own identity. Third truth I want you to get from this story. Everyone enters eternity fully functioning. <laughs> okay. You and I will go into eternity fully functioning. The rich man can see because <laughs> he saw Abraham and Lazarus. The rich man can feel <laughs> because he is feeling the torment of these flames he's in. The rich man can speak because he's crying out to Father Abraham, have mercy on me. So we all enter into eternity fully functioning. You don't just come and be a vegetable or you're numb. Or, no, no. <laughs> You're fully aware, fully awake, fully conscious, no matter which destination you are in. Fourth truth we can get from this story. One of these places is a place of comfort. The other place is a place of torment. 
We see that plainly here. Not only is the abode of the dead divided, one place is a place of comfort. The other place is a place of torment. Lazarus is being comforted in Abraham's bosom. The rich man is being tormented in the flames that he is in. And he is so much in agony that even a drop would satisfy. (laughs) Even a drop of water would bring some type of relief. That's how much agony he is in. He doesn't ask for a gallon of water. Then ask for a bottle of water. Then ask for a cup of water. He asked for a drop of water. And not even drop. Just dip your finger into the water to create a drop. I will take that and be relieved by it. That is how much agony this rich man is in right now. So truth number four is one place is a place of comfort. One place is a place of agony and torment. Look at verse 25. When the rich man calls out, cries out to Abraham, send Lazarus that he may give me a drop of water. Abraham answers him this way in verse 25. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted. And you are tormented. The fifth lesson or the fifth truth we can learn from this story is just because you leave time doesn't mean you forget your time while in time. Let me say that again. (laughs) Just because you leave time doesn't mean you forget your time while you are in time. In other words, you are fully aware of your life, of your choices, of your past, of everything. That doesn't go away. One of the ways Jesus describes hell, he describes it as the place where the worm never dies. What worm is he talking about? Well, when you die, when I die, they will put us in a box and they will put us in the ground where we will become worm food. (laughs) Worms will eventually work their way into our coffin where they will begin to eat and break down this body back into dust, just like God said you were. Ash to ash, earth to earth, dust to dust, you will be. And worms are used to do that. Worms will eat at you and eat at you and eat at you until there is nothing left of you. But in hell, Jesus says, no, this is the place where the worm never dies. The worm never dies. What is going to be eating away at those who are in hell? Eating at them and eating at them and eating at them. What's going to be eating at them is, I didn't have to be here. I didn't have to be here. You're going to remember all the times the gospel was preached to you. You're going to remember all the times you came to believe church. You're going to remember all the times you heard the message on the radio or on TV. You're going to remember that and for eternity is going to be eating at those who are there. I didn't have to be here. Because Abraham said, remember, remember your life, remember your choices, remember how you had it, remember what you did. So there's no getting away, there's no escaping the conscience, the mind, even the memory of your past life. Sixth truth you need to know. In eternity, integration is impossible. In eternity, integration is impossible. We see this in verse 26. It says, and besides all this, Abraham says, and besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. There is a great chasm. There is a great divide. Why? So that those who want to pass From here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Now that just blew purgatory out of the water, because it is right there. Abraham says there is a great gulf, there is a great chasm, there is a great divide, so that we can't come to where you are, and you can't come to where we are. 
There is a great divide. Integration is impossible. The abode of the dead is segregated, but it's segregated not by race. It is segregated by righteousness. (laughs) The abode of the dead is segregated by righteousness and it will stay segregated. Integration is impossible. And then the seventh and final truth. The seventh and final truth that you need to know about the abode of the dead, and that is this. It comes with a one-way ticket to a one-way door. Okay? The abode of the dead, okay, depending on whatever final destination you end up in, it comes with a one-way ticket into a one-way door. How do we know this? Verse 27 Then he, the rich man, said, well, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. All of a sudden, now the rich man becomes an evangelist, right? (laughs) All of a sudden, he says, look, if you can't help me out... (laughs) At least do something about my brother so they don't end up where I am. It's kind of like a scared straight program. You have a prisoner who's been in prison for 20 years. They will go to a school, right? Talk to the kids. Why? I don't want you to end up where I am. That's what the rich man now is doing. He knows that he has five brothers who are just like him. And he knows these five brothers are right behind him. So he says, if you can't do anything for me, if you can't help me out, at least send Lazarus to them to warn them, to tell them of this place so that they don't end up here. Notice what Abraham says. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Well, who is Moses and the prophets? Moses and the prophets is a euphemism. It means the word of God, the Old Testament. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Then you have the prophets Uh, some of which wrote the Psalms and and the Proverbs and all. So when he says they have Moses and the prophets, he says they have the word of God. They got the Bible. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And there is the word that we need that we're going to get into next week to understand why these men ended up where they were, okay? If one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets or the word of God, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Why did Jesus uh, point that out as well? Because it's the exact same that happened when he rose from the dead. The Bible says the Pharisees tried to bribe the guards and say, say that the disciple stole his body. You know that he's risen (laughs) and you still don't want to believe. So it's not that there's no proof. It's not that God hasn't revealed himself to you. You just don't want to believe. You don't want to believe that there's a God. You don't want to believe that you're going to be held accountable. You want to be your own God. You want to do your own thing. And as long as I can keep that in my heart and mind, I'm fine. But that doesn't make it true. And even if somebody rises from the dead, which Jesus Christ did, that still won't be enough for people to believe if they truly don't want to believe. God has already revealed enough of himself so that every single person can believe in him. So, eternity is a one-way ticket to a one-way door. Okay? It's like the Raid Roach Mattels. You may check in, but you will not check out. Okay? <laughs> there is no coming out. There is no getting out of this. Okay? It is a one-way ticket to a one-way door. So with these seven truths that we can learn from this story, we can eliminate some choices above, right? There's some choices that we, we can eliminate. We now know there's no mediation. There's no mediation because Abraham said, once you're in where you're in, that's where you'll stay. There's no mediation. We now know there's no annihilation. (laughs) 
There's no point in the story where he says, just hold off, wait a few hundred years, you will then be terminated and cease to exist. There's none of that mentioned. We now know there's no cessation where you just cease from existing when you die. No, because he lifted up his eyes in hell. We now know there is no reincarnation. Why? Because Abraham says, once you're here, you're here. There's no getting out of this. There's no returning. There's no going to the other side. There's no reincarnation. But there definitely is separation between damnation and glorification. That there is. There definitely is separation between damnation and glorification. So now that you know what's on the other side, next week we're going to begin answering these questions and let you in on why each of these men reached their final destination that they reached. Why they ended up at the final destination that they did, and we're going to answer those four questions while doing it, so that you may know and understand not only what the afterlife holds, but how we can be certain of the afterlife that we are going to. My wife and I, we went to New Orleans a couple of years ago for one of my daughter's cheer competitions. And it was late at night, and so we decided to get on a train, get on a trolley. We didn't know where this trolley was going, but we figured we'll just get on this train, and uh, we'll stop if we want to get off, but if not, we'll come back right where we are, where our hotel is, we'll be fine. So we get on this train, and we're dra- uh, going down the, this, this train track, go about one mile, go about two miles, <laughs> go about three miles, And we get to the end of the train tracks. (laughs) We get to the end, and the conductor gets off and says, all right, guys, time to get off. This is the end of the stop. So wait a minute. (laughs) Y'all not going back? (laughs) We just wanted to take a ride, but our hotel is like three miles back. He said, nope, sorry. (laughs) This is the final destination. (laughs) You know, we often talk about when taking a trip or something, say, it's not in the destination, it's in the journey. So enjoy the journey, enjoy the ride. Well, that's true, you ought to enjoy the journey, but it is about the destination as well, especially when that destination is final. You need to know what train you're on. (laughs) You need to know where that train is going because once you're on it and once you get to that destination, there is no coming back. There's no coming back. So why don't you make the decision today? Make the decision now while you still can, while there's breath in your body to believe in this glimpse, this sneak peek that Jesus just gave us about the afterlife so that you may never end up in a place that was never even meant for you to begin with. And we'll talk about that next week as well. So my challenge for you and God's challenge for all of us today is that we would look to the one who is above and believe in what he has shown us today about our final destination. Amen? Go ahead and give the Lord a hand of praise, if you will.